Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. God is good. Amen. God is good. So uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series tonight, <clears throat> uh, Letters to the Churches, our Wednesday night sermon series. We've been in this for a few weeks now, a couple months probably. I think, I think this is message eight now, so a full eight weeks so far. Um, last week, we wrapped up with the last letter to Laodicea. Uh, but there was a big piece that I didn't get to because I didn't have time and I alluded to that and I alluded to the fact that maybe we'll get to touch on it tonight. Well, I just don't want to move forward into chapter 4 until we have gone over what we're going to go over tonight. So are you guys ready? I meant it when I said, do you have your Bibles ready? I'm going to give you, give you five seconds right now to go get your Bible, pull it off your, your coffee table. You got it? Okay, now flip it open. Okay, you're in... You're in Revelation. That's good. It's in the back of the book. That's good. Okay. So we're actually going to spend a lot of time uh, in um, Matthew chapter 13 tonight, believe it or not. Uh, and you'll see why shortly. So do this for me. Find Matthew chapter 13. F- find that in your Bible. We've got our media team back tonight. So uh, how wonderful everybody. Say hello, Andrew and Carolyn and Eva. Uh, everybody's back tonight. So that's great. We'll be able to have the scriptures on the screen. But you know, on Sunday when we didn't have the media team, I had a couple of you guys say to me, you know, I really liked that I was forced to get my Bible out and follow along in my Bible. And that's why I'm always telling you guys, yes, 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 bring your Bibles to church. Bring, even if you're watching, doing these studies online, even though the scriptures are going up uh, on the screen, have your Bible in your lap so you can learn where things are in the Bible and let it just, just be second, become second nature to you if it's not already uh, to thumb through your Bible and find these scriptures and follow along, okay? So uh, open your Bible into uh, Matthew chapter 13. But before we do that, I want to do a little review <coughs> uh, before we fully transition into chapter 4. So let me see this uh, first graphic, if we could, Evangeline. Uh, what have we learned so far through this study? All right, we've studied seven different churches. The church of Ephesus, right? Don't lose your first love, right? Devotion, not just doctrine. The first church, man, oh man, they were intense about their doctrine because they came under such attack. Good truth, uh, the truth of the gospel of grace uh, was under attack from the beginning, so they had to be fierce for defending the doctrine, fierce for uh, defending the right ways to do things, the way that God wants us to, to do things and to live. But it, but it can't just be about our devotion, or it can't just be about just the doctrine. It can't be about just going through the motions. It's got to be about true devotion of heart as well. So don't lose your first love. Don't neglect priorities because it doesn't matter if everything is, else is running like a top if your heart's not in the right place because you've gotten your, your priorities mixed up. Smyrna was the persecuted church, right? So we learn that we need to endure persecution. We need to expect, expect, expect satanic opposition. As a matter of fact, if you're not being fought by the enemy, um, why is that? Because being fought by the enemy is a sure sign that you're doing something right. Okay, we need to understand that and realize that. And when opposition comes, not be surprised by it. Okay, this uh, <clears throat> uh, prosperity theology that uh, America has been 
um, regurgitating out to the rest of the world for the last 30, 40 years uh, has uh, burrowed pretty deep into the back of some people's subconsciousness. We need to get it out. We need to get it out, right? So uh, what's the next one? Let's look at that. Uh, let's keep moving through this. Pergamus, don't marry the world. Stand fast. <clears throat> Stand fast. Don't be compromised. Don't let the world come in. Don't let the world influence you spiritually or your relationship with Jesus. It was not just the Roman, not just the Roman Catholic Church. Of course, there's a historic tie here in our prophetic profile that we talked about as far as could this be an era that's uh, relevant with the uh, paganism infecting the Roman Catholic Church. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Then Thyatira, what did we learn? Don't compromise or be manipulated or be the manipulator, okay? This is rampant today, uh, not just in our society, but in the church as well. Manipulation. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's, fr it's a frightening thing to have to look yourself in the mirror and, and admit that, yeah, I might operate in manipulation a little bit. When whether that's learned because your parents did that or grandparents did that, or whether that's uh, something that the enemy has grabbed a foothold with you. It's not necessarily a generational thing, though it often is. Manipulation is a powerful thing, and it operates, it is rampantly operating, not just in our culture, but in our, the church today as well. And we learned that we can't tolerate that. So don't tolerate it. Don't, don't tolerate other people manipula manipulating you, but also don't tolerate it in yourself as well. Let's take a look at that next one. So Thyatira, we moved on to Sardis. Sardis, the dead church, he, what did Jesus have to say to them? He said, be watchful. It needed, we need watchful diligence. This is a call to the dead church, okay? Be watchful. We should be expecting God to move. We need to be looking and expecting for what's coming next. Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, the next one, he, he didn't have anything bad to th say to them. He said, you're doing great, so keep it up. Hold fast. Uh, be loyal in your ambassadorship and just don't let your crown be stolen. Then Laodicea was the last one wrapping that up. Don't let prosperity lead you into compromise. Repent and be committed. You know, we are living in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. That means that your church, whatever church you go to, if you go to church, is one of the wealthiest churches in history just because it's here just because it's here in this country. You know that uh, if you were born in America and you're one of the poorest Americans in this country, you are still wealthier than 85% of the world throughout history. Incredible, huh? So the church of Laodicea is a church that is compromised. Uh, it, it, it just wants to be whatever the world wants it to be. So, so what did we learn? Don't be like that. Don't, uh, don't compromise uh, anything. And let's revisit that prophetic profile picture as well. Can we see that? I just want this to be on the forefront of your mind as we jump into our study today, guys, because it's going to be relevant. As we read and we studied Ephesus, the apostolic church, could it be, could it be that God... Uh, chose these seven churches. He didn't choose the big church in Jerusalem. He didn't choose the big church in Antioch. He picked these churches, some of them smaller, seem, seemingly less relevant uh, biblically. However, he picked these seven churches. Why these seven? 
Could it be that each one of them represents a different era in church history? The Apostolic Church was the first one in Ephesus. Okay, They loved doctrine. What did we just read about Ephesus? They loved doctrine. They defended doctrine. Can we see that graphic again? Ephesus, moving into Smyrna, the persecuted church. This was the church. They were, they were persecuted hard by Rome. Uh, it, was, it was illegal to be a Christian in those days. So persecuted hard by Rome, but then also persecuted hard by the Jews. You remember, this church was largely Jewish, the first church, uh, mixed with Gentiles as well, of course. How, uh, however, they were persecuted on two fronts, by Rome and by uh, the Jews as well, to certain death for a lot of them, like Stephen. Okay, What's the third one? We have the Church of uh, Pergamos, the married church. This is the church that saw paganism uh, truly infect, for the first time to the deepest extent, truly infect the church itself. So Pergamos, paganism infected the early Catholic Church big time, then Thyatira, the church of that woman Jezebel, uh, you call it the medieval church. This is the ch when things really got out of hand in the Catholic Church through the Dark Ages of their murdering heretics. Uh, if you're not Catholic, then you're a heretic. And uh, whatever it is, if you still want to gather on Saturdays, then you're a heretic. I mean, uh, the popes had, popes had mistresses after mistresses. So this was truly a debauched time through the medieval era, the church of that woman Jezebel. So if you just look at this church, Era, the church eras historically, it looks like these specific issues that Jesus is addressing these churches of Revelation and these end time, uh, early churches, which I believe it's relevant for the end time churches as well, I think we see a pattern uh, throughout history of relevance in this specific order as well. So after Thyatira, what do we have? We have Sardis. <clears throat> uh, could that represent the denominational churches? These are your Methodists, your Lutherans. After the Reformation period, uh, we saw a lot of persecution among the denominationalists. This is when, once they had freedom from the Catholic Church, they began to split up into many different sects for, uh, over uh, the arguments that they would have over different doctrinal issues, and, and they began to persecute each other. So uh, ultimately, we see the Holy Spirit vacates the, the denominational church and you have what you have today. Now, I know there's exceptions to every rule, but for the most part, you don't see the Holy Spirit operating, gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in most denominational churches today, do you? No, that's for a reason. I think it happened here historically on our prophetic profile and in this timeline, in this order. So after Sardis, then what do we have? We have Philadelphia. This is the missionary church. This is the church that you want to be. Interesting note on all of these also is that in Revelation, as we read and we studied, each church that gets a report from Jesus is, is surprised. So the, the, the church that uh, was dead, the church of Sardis, even Jesus said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And they're surprised by that because they have a reputation for being alive. The church in Philadelphia is small. And, and Jesus says, even though you are small and you feel like you have no strength, you are mighty. And, I, and he had nothing bad to say about them. So this is the missionary church. This is the church that ultimately you want to be. Typically, you're going to find elements of all seven churches in most churches today. Now, some more than others, though, obviously. We can see missionary churches alive and well today. Uh, obviously, we can see uh, churches of Laodicea and denominational churches of Sardis alive and well uh, today, or I say alive, but that's just their reputation, right? So anyway, uh, let me wrap that up with the Laodicean uh, 
church, the apostate church, this is the church that is, I believe, the most rampant uh, and visible in our time, in our day, uh, just apostate, you know, uh, infected in almost any way that you can be, whether it's paganism, whether it's embracing immorality, whether, I mean, it's the, it's the market research church, you know, uh, they don't make a decision until they do market research on what is going to uh, make them the most money and lose the fewest church members, right? So uh, we do market search, uh, research to see what, uh, oh, what people are going to like, what they're going to dislike, and then we go with that. Forget just going with what the doctrine says or what God says in the Word, right? So let me go back to that picture one last time. I want to highlight that bottom up. Uh, the point on the bottom. Of these seven churches, one promised to be cast into tribulation and one is promised to be removed prior. And guess what that church is? That church is the church of Philadelphia. All the more reason that I say we want to be that church. Amen? Amen? And all God's people said, Amen. So, uh, that's kind of where we left off last week, but the piece of this puzzle that I didn't get to add in last week that I wanted to, I didn't want to move on until we, uh, until we were able to go over this, uh, comes to us, interestingly, from Matthew chapter 13, okay? In Matthew chapter 13, um, <clears throat> it has a potential to tie into the seven churches of Revelation, believe it or not. So, uh, stay with me. It's going to be a fun study, and this is why I want you to have your Bible because we're going to we're going to go deep tonight. Okay, we're going to peel back peel back the first layer. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there uh, there's four different levels, uh, four different ways of interpreting Scripture uh, according to the ancient rabbis. One of those is called a remez, and a remez is just beneath the surface. Right? You ever been reading the Bible and you come to a point and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. An ancient rabbi would tell you that that is a remez. That's the Holy Spirit telling you to stop and dig here because there's more than just the surface for you here. So we're going to go beneath the surface of Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Are you guys excited? I hope so. I think you're going to think it's cool. So uh, Matthew chapter 13 is a famous, uh, famous chapter. It's a chapter in which Jesus comes to us and he uh, gives us a bunch of parables. All right. Can I just see that? Let's look at this outline of Matthew chapter 13. All right. Look at this with me. Verses uh, 1 all the way through 50. So 3 through 9, you've got your... Uh, 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 Three through nine, we've got him talking about the sower and the four soils. And then his disciples ask him, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And then he goes on to explain the sower and the four soils. And then he gives another parable, the tares and the wheat. And then he gives a parable about the mustard seed. He gives a parable about the woman and the leaven. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more about why he talks in parables. And then he explains the tares and the wheats, which he, which he it was talking about two uh, parables earlier. And then he gives three last little jewels of parables. Okay, so you can see this is very, just looking at this outline, you can see that it's very conversational. You know, they're sitting around the fire eating probably, right? And so they're just having, they're having a conversation, and the conversation is recorded in the order in which it uh, was said, right? And so Jesus has a reason for this always. But if you look at that, you'll see that picture I showed you, the outline I showed you, there are seven, interesting, right? 
seven parables that he gives. There are also seven churches in Revelation, letters to the churches. There are also seven churches that Paul writes letters to, and that could be relevant too. I don't know. We won't have time to get into that tonight, but we're going to look at these seven parables and think, how could this possibly tie into, again, because the Word of God is so beautiful. It just continues to uh, uh, show off. It just shows itself off. God wants us to, to, when you truly study the Word of God, not just read the Word of God, but study the Word of God and ask God to show you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you things in the Scripture, He just shows you how it's all connected. It's all tied together. As a matter of fact, uh, can I see this uh, Scripture real quick, Eva? And then we'll go back to the picture I'm having you skip right now. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 tells us this. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Do you get that, guys? Come on now. Do you get that? So, so it is, a, it is uh, to us to search out this text. To, you, do you want to know what God has to say to you? It's right here, okay? It's, it's to, your charge is to know this cover to cover. And I'm not talking about having the whole thing memorized, okay? Because I love doing memory verses and stuff like that and memory work. It's awesome. It's helpful to have, uh, you know, bullets in a gun, right? <laughs> so, uh, but, but this is a reference manual. He knew we would need a reference manual and wouldn't be able to memorize it all in this fallen state, right? So do your memory work, but guys, we got to know this. I'm not talking about memorization work. I'm just talking about having a working understanding from Genesis to Revelation, where everything goes. And, and the more you do that, and the more you endeavor for that, the deeper your knowledge will get, the more remezes you'll discover, okay? So let me go back to that outline. Can I see that outline? Back it up a little bit. See what I did here? I, re I regrouped things. See, three, verse three through nine is not first anymore. I put things together, okay? First he says, why parables? Remember, in two different spots he answered that question. So let's just handle them together, okay? Uh, the sower and the four soils, he didn't explain that until 18 through 23. So I just I regrouped them this way tonight to make it easier to study through each one. I'm going to bounce around through this chapter, and I just wanted to show you the method to the madness of why I'm bouncing around. But you'll still see... The parables that we're going to touch on are still in order 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, okay? The sower of the four soils, the tares and the wheat, the mustard seed, the women and the leaven, the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, and the dragnet, all right? We good on that? We good on that? Awesome. Well, let's do this then. Let me see this next graphic, <clears throat> and I want you to take a screenshot of this or write it down real quick as well. So I want you to have a working understanding of what I'm talking about as we go through these kingdom parables. Are, are we seeing in Matthew 13, seven kingdom parables. In Revelation chapters two and three, we have the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, Pergamos, you see them all, I won't read them all to you. Uh, well, I guess I should for the podcast, people just listening. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Are we seeing similarities between the, the parable of the sower and the four soils and the first church of Ephesus? Are we seeing similarities between the tares and the wheat and the church of Smyrna? Are we seeing similarities between the, per, the Pergamos church and the mustard seed parable? Are we seeing similarities between Thyatira, the woman in the leaven, so on and so forth, all the way down the list? Well, we'll find out, okay? Let's open our Bibles first then uh, 
uh, in the order with which I uh, gave a moment ago. We're going to start with verse uh, 10. Chapter 13, verse 10. Let's read together, shall we? And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is good. For, though, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But how, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is interesting, isn't it? So essentially what this is saying is, <clears throat> why do you speak in parables, Jesus? Well, because I want you to know. I want you who love me to have the knowledge and to have the insight. But he who does not love me and want me and desire me and does not want and desire truth, the knowledge that they even do have, the truth they even do, do have now, even that will be taken away from them. I'm just telling you, when I read this and I see what's happening in our world today, I and, and the people who, I mean, it's, it's as if up is down and left is right. And the... What we're seeing happen in our country right now with this election and the blind hatred, the Trump derangement syndrome and everything else that we're seeing people uh, put on full display, they're abandoning reason. And I can't help but, you know, think, wow, you know, for those who, for those who love me, you'll be given uh, more. And those who don't, even what you have will be taken away. It seems like people have lost their minds. Am I the only one here? Okay, anyway. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 through 17. Uh, therefore, therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. He's, of course, speaking about the Pharisees of this moment and the Jews of that day, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Ah, if they would only... Turn to me with their hearts. I would heal their land. Amen? Mm. <sighs> but blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. Do you feel this, church? Do you feel blessed? Do you feel? Now, look, I, I mentioned a moment ago that this is for, to Israel. Obviously, context is everything. I can't just pull this out and say, oh, he's talking to you. Well, he wasn't talking to you. He's talking about the Pharisees and these, you know, prophetically and historically and all of that stuff. However, it does demonstrate character and it does demonstrate patterns of how things work, okay? Same thing is on display in Romans chapter 1. You know, if you ignore the Holy Spirit long enough, eventually you'll just quit hearing him because you've trained yourself to hear from the Holy Spirit and ignore him. And that's a scary, dangerous place to be, okay? So even, yes, a Christian that doesn't want to change their life and they reject being sanctified, or they reject being sanctified, they can 
They can stop listening to the Holy Spirit when he tries to bring, bring correction, right? And if you do it long enough, you get used to it, and then eventually you can't even hear him anymore, okay? It's that kind of thing. It demonstrates patterns, okay? Those who love Jesus and want to push into him and push into the Word of God more and more is going to be revealed to you, like a Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, right? Uh, uh, it's your uh, glory to be... Uh, to uncover these jewels in the scripture, right? So if you if you love Jesus, you love the word, you push in, you seek more, you'll get more. But those that don't love him and don't want the truth, eventually even the truth that they had will be taken from them. So uh, let's keep reading verse 16. But blessed are you, or your eyes, excuse me, for they see and your ears for they hear. 17. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets, and this is big, guys, Many prophets and righteous men desired uh, to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Think about that for a moment, okay? Seriously. Uh, think of Abraham. You know, God called him out of his tent and he said, look up at the heavens. And he looked at the Maseroth, right, the, which is the zodiac, but... The Zodiac is the Babylonian corrupted version of the Maseroth. It's the constellations in the sky that tell the story of the Messiah and the virgin birth. Virgo is the virgin, right? So anyway, that's a whole study. But think of Abraham for a moment when, when he's called out and God shows him everything. He says, through you, through you, this will be accomplished. It's through you that the Messiah will come. And he believed Right then, he believed God, and it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So you see grace on display right there. You see right there in that story in Genesis that, that Abraham, the father of many nations, was saved by believing in Jesus thousands of years before Jesus was even born. Okay? That's what he's talking about. Many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. Oh, how many people wanted to see the end times, guys? And you see them happening right now right before you, with what's happening with geopolitically in Russia, Iran, Turkey, Israel, all of these nations lining up together for the first time in history. The Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38-39 is here now. The pro prophesied third kingdom of Israel is here now. Do you know how many prophets and, and righteous men desired to see the prophesied rebirth of the third kingdom of Israel and you get to see it? You get to see it. They wanted to hear what you hear. Mm -mm -mm. And they did not hear it. So let's keep reading, verse 13, uh, 34 through 35. All these things. Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. Remember, we're grouping the parable stuff together. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. You get that? He didn't. So once he's started going speaking publicly once it, he launched that public speaking ministry he did not speak to them without speaking in parables that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying i will open my mouth in parables so jesus why do you speak in parables well first of all it's prophecy i will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world and this is so cool here okay so jesus came to drop some bombs that were not, ne never even spoken or revealed in the Old Testament. They weren't in the Torah. 
Jesus has come to utter things that have been kept secret since the foundation of the world. How cool is this? What is, what's the secret? What's the hidden secret? Well, I think that we find the secret given to us um, throughout the New Testament, but a great place to reference it would, would be in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 4 through 6. So let's look at that. By which, Paul writes, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, that the Gentiles, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The secret, church, the secret here isn't that the Gentiles would be saved. Do you get this? It isn't that the Gentiles would be saved. I, Isaiah is full of prophecies that the Gentiles would be saved, just in case you're wondering, okay? It is this mysterious entity that is the church itself, fellow heirs, fellow heirs of the same one body. I mean, this just puts a dagger through the heart of replacement theology right here. We're not replacing Israel. No, if you're a believing Jew, we are of the same body. Arms, legs, feet, hands, right? My goodness. So let's go back and look at the kingdom parables picture. Can we see that? First things first. Let's get into this. All right. The sower and the four soils. Could that be, could that be, uh, we'll find out. Uh, the, the church in Ephesus, that's what we're going to look to as we read Matthew 13, and we'll begin with 3 through 9, okay? 3 through 9. Let's read. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. Remember, we've already covered all the explanations why parables. <clears throat> he spoke, to them, uh, spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Verse 4, And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Interesting. Who came and devoured them? Keep this in mind. Put a pin in this for me. Birds came and devoured them. This is going to be significant here in a minute. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, And some fell on the thorn, among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It's interesting to me that that's declining there, those numbers. So for a hundred to sixty to thirty, interesting. Verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's pretty cool, okay? That's pretty interesting, all right? Uh, seven times throughout scriptures and other places other than in Revelation that we find he who hath, has ears, let him hear. And, of course, after each letter to each church in Revelations 2 and 3, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, <clears throat> the Spirit closes by saying, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here we find it in Matthew chapter 13. So, interesting. 
put a pin in that maybe, huh? Okay, verse 18. Let's move on to verse 18. Uh, he explains the parable. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. <clears throat> when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes. Wait, who came? I thought it was the birds came. No, the birds are symbolic of the wicked one. Remember, Satan is the lord of the air. Okay, that is one of the titles that he has. The lord of the air. So the wicked one comes and snatches away what has sown in his heart. What was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet has, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation, and that's not the great tribulation, that just means persecution or trouble. When tribulation or persecution arises uh, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22, Now he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, he in, who indeed bears fruit and produces. He hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and produces. And how much does he produce? A hundredfold. Some sixty. Some thirty. Again, it's declining again. Interesting. Interesting. So... Let's look at that kingdom parables picture again, if we can. The sower and the four uh, soils, is there a correlation to Ephesus? It's all about the seed. The church was born. The first church was born. And where did that seed land? And how did it spring up? Interesting. Hmm, maybe. Now, this is all... Uh, tonight. The focus of tonight's study is, yes, conjecture. But this is how we God shows us jewels in the Bible, right? As we search them out, as it is our honor of kings to do, right? So the wheat and the, wheat and the tares becomes our next parable that we move into, the second, uh, the second uh, parable. Matthew chapter 3, verse 36 through 43. I told you we're going to do Bible study tonight, didn't I? I warned you. I said, do you have your Bible ready? Okay. Let's go into Matthew chapter th uh, uh, 13, verse 36 through 43. Let's read. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. He answered and said to them, <clears throat> He answered them and said to them, He who sows good seed is the Son of Man. Uh, let me back up real quick. I, I just realized I needed to give you a little bit of background here before I move on. Remember the parable of this. I, uh, I missed the scripture. So the parable of the parable of the the wheat and the tares. You know the uh, the farmer plants wheat in his fields, uh, and the uh, his workers come to him and they and say, uh, Master, um, an enemy has come and planted weeds, tares among your crop. Uh, what should we do? Should we pull up the weeds? Should we pull up the tares? And the master said, what did he say? He said, no, let them both grow together and we'll sort them out at the harvest. Because if you try to pull up the tares, if you try to pull up the weeds right now, 
you might pull up some of the good wheat out of the ground too. You might do more damage than good by trying to pull the tares out as well at the same time. So let them both grow together and at the end of at the uh, at the harvest, then we'll bring them all back in. And so uh, this is Jesus explaining that. Let's go back to it in uh, 36 through 43. Uh, let's just start at 36. Can we do that, Eva? Thank you. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Verse 37, he answered and said to them, He who sows good seed is the son of man. Verse 38, the field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares, the weeds, are the sons of the wicked one. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And I tell you what, it feels like they might be sharpening their sickles right about now <laughs> in this uh, time of history that we're living through. Verse 40, let's keep reading. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Now hold my comment. Verse 42, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine. They'll shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And here it is again, guys. Is this a key trying to sh sh point us to revelation? I don't know. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. So an interesting thing to note about this uh, parable, guys, is the wheat in the weeds, uh, the the tares. It's, it's, we, everybody knows what a a tear is in Israel, okay? It comes from uh, the Zizanian seed, the Zizanian seed, and it looks just like wheat. If you look at the seed, if you look at the seed of wheat and the Zizanian, they look the same, okay? It looks just like wheat. And as it grows in its early stages, it looks just like wheat as well until it matures, and when it matures, it turns black, which is its true color. If it, and here's another thing. Can, actually, can I see those? I've got a couple pictures for you guys. Let me see that first one. Do you see how difficult it would be? Look at this. On the left, you've got your wheat. On the right, you've got your tares. They look very similar. Do you know how difficult it would be to tell those apart? Now, let's see when it's uh, right before harvest, after, this black, after it's turned black and then it has died. This is what it looks like after it's died. So the wheat is on the left and your, uh, your tares are on the right. Very, very sneaky. Very, very similar. Okay? Here's, come back to me now on this one. Here's where it gets even more, uh, uh, um, I don't know, devious, I guess, uh, on the part of those that sow the wheat among the tares. If it gets mixed in, okay, if you don't notice it, See, the farmer says, just wait till the end, bring it all in the harvest, we'll separate it out then. If you don't know that it's in there, when you crush it, okay, like you crush wheat, okay, in the mill for baking, to get flour, to make bread, right? If it's, if it has, if the, if the tear, the Zizanian seed, 
uh, weed, if it's that seed is crushed with the wheat, if that is crushed with the wheat and included into the flour, it's poisonous. <laughs> I mean, does Jesus know how to make a, uh, uh, a parable or what, right? So it grows among the field, looks, looks just like it, looks the same, and you can't tell until it comes to maturity. But once it, reach, it reaches maturity, it turns black, and if you don't get it out and it makes it into, makes it into the loaf, it's poisonous, church. Come on now. Let me see that kingdom parables picture again. Let me see that, all right? The parable of the wheat and the tares, what happened in Smyrna? This is the beginning of the church, guys. This is the, this, the persecuted church is, uh, is suffering from uh, persecution of uh, persecution of the Romans, persecution of the Jews. But you know what else was happening at this time? The, the church was becoming infected with Gnostic teachings, okay? And false teachers that were, that were predominantly mystic and Gnostic. Some of those teachings are still with us today, okay? Teachings like Calvinism, that I can take you from Calvin to Augustine to, to uh, uh, um, the Egyptian Essenes, some study if you want, okay? Gnosticism, truly false teaching, was infecting big time at the, in this period of, of church history, okay? So, and it's still alive today. It's frightening when you look at all the different false teachers that are on TV and have huge ministries, mega churches. And it's, it's, uh, I can tell you personally as a pastor who has had people come into our churches that we have pastored and planted and everything else, believers that you think are fellow believers, until they're in your church long enough, they come to maturity and they turn black. And if they're not, if they're not exposed and cut out, then they're poison. And it is a real thing, guys. And who sowed them? Who sowed them? The enemy, Satan sowed them. Satan sowed them. So we see that, that we, we see that potentially, potentially again conjecture in the Seven Kingdom parables. Potentially, that era is that that era is this intentional? Is this the Holy Spirit doing something intentional here? Let's keep reading. Uh, Matthew chapter thirty-one, uh, verse thirty-two is where the mustard seed parable comes to us. Okay. Uh, another parable he put forth saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the last of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. Wow. Hmm. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. That's interesting. You know, whenever I've read this... Um, Whenever I have read this in the past, I would always just get the visual that it's grown so big. And I think it was a positive thing, right? Well, a mustard seed, so small, but it can turn into this big tree. Oh, isn't that great? So that means if I've just got a little faith, because that other verse that I've picked up somewhere else that it's not even in this here, right? You know, <laughs> what does it one have to do with the other? We do that with all the time with ourselves and, and uh, uh, with scripture, don't we? Anyway. So this little seed, it can grow into a big tree. That's right, my little seed of faith. It can grow into a big tree, and isn't that great? Now, what is he talking about here? Verse 32, which is, it is indeed the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, so <laughs> the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, real little, when sowed into his field, 
It's when fully grown, it grows bigger than the herbs and becomes a tree, so much so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Didn't we already establish in this same chapter, though, who are the birds of the air? Satan, the lord of the air, the enemy. And just in the previous parables, who's nesting, who, who comes and picks the seed up, right? The birds. And who did Jesus say they were? Satan, right? We just, we're, we're seeing it again and again. Uh, Satan's the one who sowed the tares. Satan is the bird who comes and plucks it out. And now we see the birds are nesting in its branches. So this is, huh, maybe we should look at this a different way. Let me show you this picture. Have you ever seen a mustard plant? If you've ever been to Israel, these things are everywhere. So it's a great analogy. That's a mustard plant. They're everywhere in Israel, okay? They grow to be about three feet tall at most. It's like a yellow flower. This one in Matthew 13, it grew so tall it became a tree, though it was not intended to. Hmm. It's a plant. Yet it, so it's not intended to be a tree. But it became a tree. And guess who's in the branches? The birds, the evil ones. So if you're looking, if you're looking for ministers of evil, don't overlook the pulpits. <laughs> All right? Don't overlook the pulpit. So, so let me see that. Uh, can we go to that uh, Seven Kingdom Parables picture? Can you go back to that for me real quick, Evangeline? So let's look at this. Let's look at the Seven Kingdom uh, Principles. And we've got the mustard seed. That was the church that married the world. This is the, the married church. It married the world. This is the one that truly... Uh, welcomed paganism into the Catholic Church. And are there ministers of wickedness and evil sitting in her trees, or sitting in her branches of a tree that started, a church that started with a small mustard seed of faith, and now wickedness rests in her trees? Um, I don't know. It's, well, it's, like I said, this is, this, is, this is academic tonight, guys. Okay? Let's keep reading then. So we're to the parable of the leaven, verse 13. We're getting close to wrapping up here. Verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of a meal till it was all leavened. What is leaven uh, representative of to the Jewish people? Come on now, church, you know, sin. Sin. So she mixed sin in to the loaf in three measures. You know, that's something I would normally read, just read past. Uh, but as I look, as you look into it more, this phrase, three measures of meal, this is a, uh, in a Hebrew custom, this is the fellowship offering. The fellowship offering was three measures of meal. It was the fellowship offering. So a good, a good Jewish lady who's baking the fellowship offering, right? She would flip out if leaven ended up in the three measures of meal, right? So this is a bad, bad thing. So, so they would have completely understood what Jesus is saying here, right? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole thing 
was rotten, right? Because what happens uh, to leaven? It puffs up, right? It makes the bread puff. It puffs you up. It's pride. It's false bravado. And another thing, the leaven in the bread is what makes it rot. You ever had matzah bread? I think there's some in my cupboard from like six years ago. I'm just joking. Amber would have thrown that out. But we've had leaven in the cupboard before for a long time. And it gets stale, but it doesn't mold and rot. What happens to your bread? It molds and it rots. Why? Because there's sin in it. Now you'll never eat bread again. You wanted to go on an Atkins diet anyway, right? So, uh, But the sin is what rots, puffs up, pride, so on and so forth. This woman put it in there, okay? Can I see that seven parables picture again? Can we go back to that? Could that be the woman in the leaven of Thyatira? The woman of that woman Jezebel that you tolerate in your church? I don't know. Might be seeing a pattern here, guys. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Maybe, maybe not. Let's keep reading. The treasure in the field, then. Three left. Let's wrap this up. Uh, verse uh, 44. 13, verse 44. Let's read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So cool. So cool. Treasure in the field. You know, the cool thing about this parable is the field is the world. The field is the world, and Jesus is the buyer. He gave his life. He gave all he had to, to, uh, uh, for the world. The pearl of great price comes next. Uh, Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Let's read that. Again, this is the sixth, sixth one. Pearl of great price. Does anybody remember what the sixth church of of Revelation was, <clears throat> comment below. You'll win a free cup of coffee Sunday morning. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Verse 46, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is so cool, guys. This is so cool, okay? A pearl of great price is an idiom for Gentiles. It's an idiom for Gentiles. You know why? Oysters are not kosher. Oysters are not kosher. The pearl is un unique among all jewels. Come on, guys. You ever have to buy some jewelry for your wife or your girlfriend or whatever? Ladies, you, you know, pearls are beautiful. They're a beautiful jewel, aren't they? What's unique about a, a pearl, right? You don't dig it out of the earth, do you? No, it comes from an oyster, and oysters are not kosher. The pearl is unique because it grows by irritation. How cool is that? Within the oyster. Irritation within the oyster is what forms, this, uh, forms the, uh, the jewel itself. Increasing, I guess, is the technical word, right? But then... It's formed by irritation, but then guess what happens? When you get the oyster, it is removed from its place of growth to be an item of great value. And it's a Gentile jewel because Jews never really had pearls because it's, oysters weren't kosher, so they weren't catching them for food. And so it's a, this is a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church. Uh, so 
Is this the Church of Philadelphia? Gentile, he uses a, a Gentile jewel as the example that grows by irritation and then is removed from its place of growth to become an item of great value. I don't know, sounds pretty cool to me. Now let's get the last one covered here. The dragnet then uh, comes in Matthew 13. And we'll look at the whole list again. And you can tell me if, uh, if you're with me or not. The dragnet, Matthew 13, verse 47 through 52. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good in into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be when... At the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Now, I wonder if they would have just said, no, can you explain it a little further? Then we would have even greater insight. So too bad they didn't say that, right? Uh, verse 52. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe uh, instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure new uh, things new and old. So he's giving new Revelation here is what he's saying. I'm giving, you know, there's old knowledge, treasure, but here's some new treasure that I'm giving you, disciples. And the world, through the Word of God, the Bible, new treasure. This is new treasure for you, okay? But this dragnet is all about the separating at the end of the age, you know? So let's look at all these seven kingdom parables again, okay? One last time. Let's look at them and see if we see the pattern, okay? The woman, is that the last one? Yeah, so the treasure of the field, the de uh, denominational church, the pearl of great price, the Gentile jewel, the church of Philadelphia removed perhaps from its place of growth, and then the dragon, the church of Laodicea, which is totally compromised and totally the biggest, richest, most successful church of, in the world that is alive today, the church that will be alive at the end of the age, and when Jesus comes, he will do the separating, separating the wicked from the just. Is that, is that the pattern? Are we seeing a pattern from Matthew chapter 13 with the seven? It's interesting. There's seven parables Seems to line up pretty cool. Anyway, I thought it'd be worth our time to study and look at, uh, in any case, uh, whether, whether I'm onto something here or not. I think it just, I think that it shows, especially if we are onto something, how intricate the Word of God is and how intentional God was with every single part of it. You know, the world will want to tell you that, you know, this is just a collection of writings of scholars and scribes over a few hundred years, and it was put together to manipulate people politically and this and that. It couldn't be anything further from the truth. I mean, this, this Word of God, this Bible, uh, is beyond time the time-space continuum. I mean, the way that all these things go together uh, on on remez levels, beneath the surface levels, it just it could not be. And there's no person, there's no man that has the knowledge or or the 
wisdom to do what this supernatural book does. And the more you study your Bible, not just read your Bible, the more God shows you this stuff, guys. So pretty awesome. Um, one more thing I was going to show you is, can I see the next graphic? So uh, for, actually, let me go back. Can I see the seven kingdom parables one more time just to drive it home because we're going to close here. And then, yeah. Take a screenshot of that, guys. And like I said, every time I teach you anything, it's just a jumping off point. So uh, I encourage you to revisit this with your Bible and look at the churches in Revelation as well. Also, something we're not going to get into depth with, but some, another thing that might be cool to do along this lines is look at this list of churches. Jesus wrote to seven churches, and Paul wrote to seven churches as well. Seven's a big number uh, for God. Let me see that graphic. Uh, Jesus' churches versus Paul's. Is there a pattern there? Obviously, Ephesus, right? <laughs> but is there a similarities to the characteristics of the churches of Revelation on the left? Do they share similarities with the churches Paul wrote to? And is that intentional as well? I'll let you guys do that one on yourself. But I think you'll find, uh, I've found some similarities uh, in there as well. So in closing, let's read together uh, a teaser for next week. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, as we've thoroughly studied through all these seven churches, letters to the churches. Um, <clears throat> Jesus says this, after these things, after these things that happened with the churches, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, what? Harpazzo, come up here and I will show you things which must take place when after this, that word metatauta, after this, after these things. So after what? After the church. After, after I'm done dealing with the churches and the church age, perhaps, he said, come up here. And verse 5 continues, and from the throne room, can we, do we see that next graphic? From the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. And as if we remember what the lamps were in Revelation chapter 1, we might be able to draw a uh, assumption that the churches now beginning in Revelation uh, chapter 4 the churches are in the throne room hmm interesting the lamps are now before the throne in heaven before everything that is about to follow after and what follows after of course we know this the seals the uh, the trumpets the you know, basically the tribulation period so uh, let me let me close on a uh, encouraging note tonight. Uh, through this study of the uh, of the uh, churches of Revelation, we've uncovered a lot of stuff that's gone wrong with the church throughout history. Horror, horrors, truly, uncovered uh, that has that have been perpetrated by the church itself onto itself throughout the ages, uh, and we are indeed living now in a time where. Christians worldwide are facing persecution on an, in an unprecedented uh, level. As a matter of fact, don't let it be lost on you just because a lot of us live in America and we're so blessed, okay, and we've grow, grown up listening to this prosperity gospel garbage. Uh, the, the Christian church in the 20th century, just take the 20th century, was 
persecuted more just in the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. Right now, right now, Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world by far. We talk about anti-Semitism, it's horrible. You when talk about racism and all these other issues. Right now, Christianity, and a lot of it's lost on us because we're blessed to live in this nation, but if you haven't noticed, Christianity is under more attack now in this country than it, than it has ever has been in the history of the United States of America. So we're seeing uh, that hatred for Christians, that antichrist spirit that is so prevalent in the rest of the world, it's made huge inroads into the U.S. Uh, through, you know, the through the infection of our schools with communism, the infection of our universities with you know, socialist communist professors through, you know, which you know, communism is married to atheism and everything else. But let me, let's, let's end on a positive note because although all these things uh, plague the church and, and uh, plague the church today and our concerns for us, Jesus did give us promises to all of these churches, which every issue, every church had, every church in this country, in this world needs to be aware of because it affects every, every church deals with these things to some degree, each of the seven problems. But he also gave seven promises to each church and said, if you will overcome these things that you're struggling with, if this I have against you, but if you'll overcome it, here's a promise I'll make you. Can I see that list of promises? to the overcomers, okay. Said to Ephesus, the church that said, he said, you've lost your first love, but if you'll get back to me, you'll eat of the tree of life. Smyrna, you've been persecuted so much, I promise you, you'll not be hurt of the second death. Though you suffered persecution and death in this life, you'll not be hurt of the second death. Pergamos, the married church, if you'll overcome the paganism uh, and the marrying of the world, I'll give, you, I'll give you manna to eat, the stone with your name on it, white stone with your name on it, and I'll give you a new name. Thyatira, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, you man operate in manipulation and you tolerate manipulation. If you'll overcome that, I'll give you power over nations. Because remember, that's what, they, what Jezebel wants, is power over nations. Sardis, Remember uh, Ahab and Jezebel, right? Uh, Sardis, the den denominational church, the church that had a reputation for being alive but was dead, the Holy Spirit not present, not welcome. Walk with him. If you'll overcome that, you'll walk with him in white and your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Now this is talking to individuals here, okay? Because we know that there are individuals within these corporate church structures. These, these church, corporate church structures, look, if you attend one of these churches and you're watching this and say, what are you saying? I'm going to hell or being thrown into tribulation? No. Listen, there's good people in every church, but you obviously know when a spirit is operating by and large in your congregation okay and if you see that operating in your church you need to get out and you need to overcome okay let's go back to the list um your name will not be blotted out the church of philadelphia rapture baby <laughs> taken out of the tribulation and your name his name his name written upon you that's a sign of ownership and citizenship in the kingdom of god which contrasts, by the way, 
the mark of the beast. And the church of Laodicea, lastly, you know, this is the church which was so condemning, uh, was so condemned by the Lord when he said, I stand at the door and knock. Look, you're rich. You are a rich, big church, but you're so compromised, okay? The people rule, not God rules the church. It's so compromised that Jesus isn't even in the church. He's outside knocking. And if you just, if you would just open the door and let me in, then I would come in. And if you'll do that, let's see that picture one more time. What's the last promise? You'll sit with Jesus on his throne as he sits with the Father now on his throne. So, mm -mm. with that, guys, we'll close tonight. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And I pray that you hear what the Spirit is saying to you tonight. If you're watching this tonight and the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes, perhaps to things that he wants to show you in the word, and you're maybe discovering for the first time that, you know, there's a lot more in this word than just what it says on the surface. And I want to go deeper. And you want to, you're saying to yourself, Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me to go deeper. He will. He's good and faithful and true. He will take you there. He'll take you as deep as you're willing to give him time to go. Okay? So, and that's the best place to start. People always ask me, I say, just get a good study Bible, right? A good study Bible and wear it out. What translation? Uh, New King James or the uh, American Standard Version are great. Um, Christian Standard Version. Uh, just, you know, those are based off of the Textus Receptus Codex, but even if it's NIV, guys, okay, just the gospel's not lost in any of them. And the, the, the notes below really start opening your eyes to the who, what, when, where, why context of all the scriptures. And that's when the Word of God really starts to come alive to you, is when you understand the context, you understand the culture, and all of that. So, uh, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's moving on. Whatever, in whatever way the Lord is moving on you tonight, guys, I just want to do this before we close. If you're, uh, if you're uh, being convicted or if you're being inspired or encouraged by the Holy Spirit, whatever it is right now, let's just go to Him with our hearts wide open tonight, okay? Lift your heart before the Lord, and if you're in a room with other people, uh, close your eyes. Let's everybody close our eyes. Raise your hands so nobody has to feel like somebody's staring at them, right? Raise your hands. Close your eyes. And just lift up your heart and begin to pray. Begin to worship the Lord in spirit and truth, right? Right now, just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. I thank you for your revelations. I thank you for your word and the truth that you give and bring, Lord. I ask that you would continue to enlighten me, Father. Continue to uh, show, me your show me in your word uh, just the truth and the depth knowledge and insight father i know that i know that you've got more for me in your word and i just pray lord jesus that you'd pour it out to me i'm ready father i'm ready uh, i want to go deep i want to go off the deep end into your word and into your truth lord jesus so uh, do your work in me uh, blow that ember in my heart to full flame lord jesus that i would desire more and more of you and your word every day father uh, keep us safe, Lord Jesus, uh, from uh, false teaching and misdirection of the enemy, Lord Jesus. Um, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray this blessing over your people right now, Lord Jesus. Uh, 
that you would make us uh, weary of the wolves, God, that when false teachers and false movements come to us and want to persuade us and corrupt us, Father, as they were in, in the churches of Revelation, Father, that the Holy Spirit would peak, uh, peak our, uh, the Spirit within us, Father, and prick us, Father, uh, to know, Lord, that this isn't you or that it is a deceiving spirit, Lord Jesus. Give us discernment and wisdom, God, to maneuver the times in which we live, Lord Jesus. So, if you're watching this right now uh, as well and you want to recommit your heart to the Lord, uh, maybe you've never surrendered your life. You know, I said this last week, maybe it was Sunday. Anyway, some point in the last seven days, I said, you know, uh, after salvation and justification, which is faith plus nothing, then behavior does matter because it's, it's a process of sanctification, right? So maybe you've never surrendered that, maybe surrendered to that fact. You know, you're not saved by your works, but your works matter eternally. And they matter in your growth and development as far as becoming the person that God has created you to be and the person you will be eternally. So. Uh, if you're receiving conviction there, maybe you've never surrendered your whole life or you need to lay some things down or maybe you want to give your heart to Jesus and your life to Jesus for the first time, let's do this. And just pray with me out loud if that's you. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, come into my heart now and make me new, Lord Jesus. Give me wisdom and discernment, a love for your word. Lead me in that, God. I trust you, God. I take my belief in you and, I, and I, I transition it to faith because I put my eternal destination and salvation into your hands and I trust you that you've got it. I deposit it with you and trust that you won't lose it. And so I surrender my heart and my life and have your way with me. Put your will, your desires in my heart that I would desire what you want for my life, not just what my flesh desires for my life, Lord. Be with me, lead me, grow me, Father. Expose to me ways in which I fall short and need maturity, Lord. And then help me in those areas. Walk with me all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, I hope you enjoyed tonight, guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May you go in grace, grow in grace, and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Thanks so much for joining us.